change the time, seems to be moving faster. Yeah, you're not alone. The days are clicking by like hours. Weeks clicking by like days. Look in the mirror. Who is that? Is that me? Am I that bald? What has happened? Luckily for you, you got the Rain City Jerks to help you disassociate from whatever hellscape you find yourself trapped in right now. I'm hoping that this podcast will help you disassociate a little bit easier. We love you. You're listening to the Rain City Jerks podcast, baby. Jerks! He loved, so he had that, he, that mustache, he loved Charlie Chaplin. This is a true story. He loved Charlie Chaplin. Hitler did. Yeah. Okay. Huge fan of Charlie Chaplin. Would screen his movies in the Eagle's Nest. Okay. And then became not a fan of Charlie Chaplin when he did The Great Dictator. Ah. And that's when he realized, oh, this guy hates me. And then he hated Charlie Chaplin. Do you but think he, he shaved his mustache after that? <laughs> no, he kept it. Because <laughs> he was like, oh, it's my brand. It's a mustache yeah. rivalry. Yeah. He had, <laughs> but that's a dream. He was so upset. Do you oh. think Hitler did Charlie Chaplin impersonations, like doing like the stupid little walks and pratfalls? Do you oh, think, man. Do you think Hitler did pratfalls to make Goebbels <laughs> laugh sometimes? Oh, what a scary idea. <laughs> what if he was super good at comedy yeah. and no one ever knew it? And you're like, oh, I mean, maybe that's better for everybody. But then he also pulls way. out like the Joe Pesci, like just to fuck with people. Like he does a pratfall, <laughs> and then someone like laughs, like, "Oh, Hitler, you were so funny." I don't know what accent that was. That was terrible. And Lithuanian, yeah. And good. then he's like, I'm, I'm, "I'm funny like a clown." Do you? And it just <laughs> just fucks. <laughs> so, flashing just a pair of shoes hanging in the town yeah. square. <laughs> so you never know if you're supposed to laugh at Hitler or or take him really serious. That would be really scary, like a dictator who's really funny, and all the time you're just like, I don't know if I'm laughing too hard or too soft. Like, <laughs> right. I gotta laugh all the time. And like when uh, <clears throat> Kim Jong. Uh, ill died everybody had to like cry for days on end it's just like this oh, guy yeah. is like so funny you have to laugh at everything just right but the, the first... funny dictator you have to do like a three-day roast yeah yeah everybody has to have good roast jokes too <laughs> hi and welcome to rain city jerks uh i'm your host jack slattery i'm also your host jay markovitz and this week we are joined by Derek sheen i'm also your host name with a j yeah, Jarek Jean. Jarek yeah. Jean. That's my new the new new Jarek Jeans. Wow, it's a great fit on you. It's a great brand. <laughs> Jarek Jeans. They fit you tight. That's what we say. E- extra high waisted. Yeah, extra high waisted for dads. For nipple, dads and nipple grandpas. line. Yeah, dad jeans. Are dad jeans a thing? Yeah, like you hear about mom jeans, but like you never hear anybody talking about dad jeans. They're supposed to fit right under the gut. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Dad jeans also have like a, they're notorious for having like big thighs, like wide thighs, like wider than, and then they just sort of taper down and past the knee. So you have a big baggy sort of uh, uh, um, MC Hammer style jean with lots of big, big pockets and a big ass. Okay. I was just imagining like Jinko's as dad jeans. It gives the illusion of having a thigh. Yeah. I guess it depends on the, the dad. Did your dad wear shorts? Did your dad wear shorts? No, no, thankfully no. Yeah, my dad's not really a shorts guy. My dad was Portuguese, so he just, from head to foot, was covered in a, about six inches of just thick, curly hair all the time. Mm-hmm. So it was good that he didn't wear shorts. But he did use a bar of soap to clean himself, which was the most disgusting thing I'd ever seen in my life. Because that was also covered with thick, curly hair. It just hair. looked like a chinchilla, just waiting in our bathroom all the time. <laughs> 
<laughs> Are you a body wash man? <laughs> I'm a body wash guy. What's your brand? Uh, I am uh, Lush Good Karma. Okay. What uh, flavor? That is end. like a super hippie uh, dippy. It's um. Uh, oh, it's good. It, so it's Lush, but then the flavor is Good Karma. Yeah, well, yeah, Lush is all like you know, like handmade right, hippie right, stuff. Right, right, right. And the Good Karma one smells like uh, uh, it smells like patchouli. Which I would normally, I would be again, but I'm like, eh, I'm 52 and I smoke weed now, so it's kind of awesome. Do yeah. they have a bad karma flavor? Yeah, that would be the one that's probably like bubblegum scented. Mm. That's just a weird, that's just weird to have the smell like bubblegum. Just weird, it comes back to haunt you. Yeah, bubblegum has a smell, but it's a very young person smell. So if an old person smells like bubblegum, that's, that's always a red flag. Yeah, or a pink flag, yeah. as it may be. <laughs> Amoxicillin's pretty good, though. Yeah, amoxicillin. Yeah. Did you ever have the? uh... Yeah, again, pinks. I, 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 as a child, I looked forward to getting sick. I liked being sick because that's when I got the most maternal care, and also the uh, medicine tasted really good. Diamond Tap grape. That shit is delicious. Holy shit! I forgot about Diamond Tap grape. Delicious. Yeah, amoxicillin, Luden's cherry cough drops. My mom never got me those. So You're missing out. Here's what my grandma used to do when I used to have a cold. Uh, and my grandparents took care of me all the time because my mom worked, and so when I would get a cold, my grandma would get a um, a snifter of bourbon mm. and heat it up on the stove, uh-huh. and then put honey in it. And then I would drink that. Then it's a kid's drink. And I was the sleepiest I'd ever been. It was the best. I, I remember having fevers. And then she would just get me hammered. Honey to coat your throat. Whiskey to knock you out. Yeah. And that's works. how old people You know, you're a it. child. You don't, yeah. you don't need much. And then I grew up to be a raging alcoholic. But I kind of, I, right. I think I was just trying to capture right, that feeling again. That's your yeah. medicine. That was man. my medicine. I'm not sick. <clears throat> or I am sick. I need this. It's my medicine. You're just trying to capture that grandmother. <laughs> yeah, I think I've all, my drinking was just me trying to recapture that that thrill of like. That's me and ice cream, to be honest. Oh. Like ice cream represents my grandmother's love to me, and it was a strong love. She would, I she would imagine me, chubby me, uh, visiting my grandmother in in Montgomery, Alabama, and uh, she is a classic Southern grandmother. And Love she's him. she's Love made me a pallet in her living room, which consists of many blankets, a beanbag, pillows, more blankets, and it's just like this giant cushion on for me to sprawl on. And then she's hand feeding me ice cream as I'm watching Nickelodeon cartoons, and she calls Damn. me King P because my middle name's Philip, and her husband's name was Philip, whom I'm named after. And uh, nice. she's just hand feeding me ice cream to cartoons, and like I can watch whatever I want, I can eat whatever. I'm just the shit, and just like now wow. when I eat ice cream, like that memory cascades over me. You know what I mean? I'm just like that's where I want to be. That's why I like chocolate frosties all so much. That's a goal for when you're. That's a fame goal to have. Yeah. Like I want to get. I don't want to be ultra rich, but I want to be wealthy enough. That someone can just feed me ice cream while I'm watching whatever I want. Yeah. Like, to get to that place again, that's a good goal to have. Maybe I'd hire a grandmotherly lady, you know? Yeah, get some yeah. geriatric prostitutes. Matronly. Yeah. Feed you that just ice cream. Just go to cream. the old folks' home and be like, who wants to have a day pass? <laughs> be like, hey, Grandma, it's your grandson. I'm here to see you. Yeah, remember me? Remember? <laughs> grandson King Philip? Yeah, that was me. Sweet. Did your grandmother do anything for you? My grandma would what make... What food uh, triggers deep 
positive memories for you? Stuffed cabbage. Oh, interesting. Yeah, no, I would go to my grandparents' house in uh, Pittsburgh every year or so, and it smelled like the old country. And the suburban house that I grew up in was so sterile that going somewhere that smelled like a root cellar and uh, old Eastern Europeans, it was uh, it was like entering another world. Everything was a little yellower. And uh, I, I didn't like the stuffed cabbage, but it was like I had to eat it just because, you know, it was expected of me. You couldn't disappoint grandma. What was it stuffed with? Rice? Uh, rice and meat. Rice yeah, and rice beef, and right? beef. Or lamb. Uh, maybe a little of both. You're yeah. a cook, right? You like Russian, cook. Russian grandma. Yeah. yeah. So you, have the, you got a Portuguese dad and a Russian grandma? Yeah, well, my mom's, my mom's grandmother, my great-grandmother, I mean, but my mom's grandmother was Russian. And then uh, my grandfather's side of the family was scottish scotch irish so mm. a little of both but the russians you know the, she always cooked so i that, yeah. i relate to the the cabbage smell quite mm-hmm. a bit it's great i mean i love cabbage now yeah every every kind of cabbage but man i went to pittsburgh and before pandemic i went to pittsburgh and uh like that the, the place i stayed was like a lot of polish immigrant families mm-hmm. and man like you could just smell cabbage everywhere and it kind of took me back a little bit because I was like, most people I don't think would handle this very well. The whole neighborhood smelled like cabbage. I want to get a cologne but, that smells God like cabbage. Damn it. It's just so home. It's so homey. I love it. Delicious. You like to cook, right? I love to cook. Dude, yeah, his, I love you, to cook. You, you post food on your social media. Yeah, it looks amazing. Yeah, ravenous when I see your social <laughs> oh, that's media. Awesome. Thank you. Where'd you Where'd you pick that up? Who taught you how to Man, cook? Man, I so I used to love to cook. My you know that was a passion, but I wasn't great at it until. I took my grandfather in. I, I I would say like right after my mom passed, I s- started spending time in the kitchen because I didn't realize that I was an Italian grandmother. Okay. Like so, I just handled grief by being in the kitchen all day, and I would just go to the store and spend you know forty bucks and just bring something home and spend all day trying to cook a meal and teach myself. And then when I took my grandfather in, I really wanted to learn how to do it well because you know we were in lockdown he had dementia and his favorite thing was to go out to dinner and he couldn't do it anymore Mm -hmm. and so i and also we'd seen everything on tv so our only form really our form of entertainment was dinner and for two years i really every night had to be something unique and also i had to be like consciously aware of his dietary stuff so I try to like learn how to plate things so it looked nice, uh-huh. you know, and try to cook with um, alternative ingredients, but also trying to bring as much flavor out as I could. So I would spend all day in the kitchen just figuring it out. But like well, every YouTube video I could track down, you know, I've got every cookbook. I just go grab cookbooks and flip through and see what inspired me. And how do you do that? And then you know, it's all of these things are sort of transferable once you learn how right, to make yeah. a few things. You realize. There's Same a, techniques. Yeah, there's techniques for everything. And and I've learned to refine, you know, I spend, uh, I try to spend a lot of time doing it. I don't know what I want to do with it. I just really enjoy yeah. getting good at it. Yeah, I love cooking too. It's, but yeah, you post a lot of stuff that's just like, oh man, that's, the plating is nice. Like, thank I, you. I'm just eating, I'm just feeding myself. I, I rarely think about the plating aspect of it. But I'm starting to sketch things out on paper to figure out like wow. how to. Like, what do I want to do? You know, okay. do, approaching what, like the plate as a canvas in a way. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Uh, you have any favorite things to cook or favorite things that you've yeah, made? What's, what's your best, the best thing you do? Man, I think the the best thing I ever made uh, is a, I made a, um, 
I made, uh, uh, so I broke down a chicken. I broke down a whole chicken, single pan, uh, cast iron pan. And, uh, I did a, um, an, an achiote risotto. So like a Mexican spice mix. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did that as a one pan risotto. So a lot of butter and oil. Um, and then the chicken, uh, I braised everything or not braised everything. I, uh, uh, I charred everything and then threw it in the pan and let it braise with the rice mm. along with some uh, – about a cup and a half of like chicken broth. And within like three hours, man, that was the best thing we'd ever had. I mean the risotto was perfect and you know it had all that chicken fat in it and the chicken was just nice and red and had a – I mean it was one of my favorite pictures too. But it was amazing. That's just a great fun dish that we enjoy. That everybody's asleep now, aren't they? No, uh, I don't. Great. I, I don't think so. I think. Uh, I think we talk a lot about food on here, so I feel like our audience likes to hear about the cooking and the food. We're kind of a a, a lifestyle podcast. Oh, good. So that's accurate. Yeah. yeah, but that was my. I think that's my favorite dish that I ever made. It just was super packed one pan easy cleanup yeah and it was the first time my grandfather so he was uh, not great at saying uh telling especially men in the family aren't good at expressing themselves or saying thank you or i love you or or any kind of praise whatsoever and it was the first time my grandfather looked up while he was eating and was like this is great oh wow which my wife was like oh derek's gonna go cry in the car for an hour after <laughs> finally yeah Every night, because I'd be like, motherfucker won't ever say something's good. And I would ask him, like, hey, how is it? And he'd go, eh, it's, yeah, it's okay. It's fine. Yeah. Did he eat it all, at least? All of it. Yeah. He loved it. I mean, he would right. tell my wife, like, man, I've never eaten food like this. It's so good. Like, boy, Derek really knows how to cook. But then I would come home, and he'd be like uh, the fucking Warner Brothers frog. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Just nothing. And then my wife would be like, he always praises you when you're not around. And then when you're around, he just clams up. And then that one night, I was like, I am going to go cry in my car. <laughs> like, that's amazing. He said, this is okay. Wow, that's the most we got out of him. That's huge. Yeah, that scales up to, like, a fantastic yeah. in grandpa speak. <laughs> but, I, you know, I, like, my kitchen's just, like, full of stuff now. We bought a pasta maker because I'm I like making pasta by hand. Yeah, but it's fun. I also after a while I'm like I don't if I don't have to. Yeah, right. You know, just wish I, I had this pasta. It's so it's so easy, guys. We love it. Like now I just make pasta and and I got like a sous vide. So I like I everything in the kitchen now that we're all unpacked. I'm like man, it's like a lab in there. So I'm trying to get back into it and spend more time. I think I want to do like a self published cookbook or stuff that. You know, the based on the pictures that I have mm-hmm. of some of the recipes that, like, you know, are some of them are vegan and some of them are super low sodium with alternative ingredients to sort of, you know, replace that for people who have like sodium issues and uh, less sugar, um, less fat, cooking with olive oil and alternative oils and like trying to figure out ways to do that so that your food still is delicious. Right. But so I'm kind of toying with it. Would you take that on the road with you, or just sell it? Sell it way? separately. Yeah. yeah. I I I I I don't like to make my worlds collide. You like to keep them separate. Yeah. Like I play music, and everybody's like, "Why don't you do music in your comedy?" And I'm like, "Cause they're two different things." Yeah. Like, yeah. I studied then you're, then music. You're a, then you're a music comedian, right? Yeah. And then you're that guy. And then also, you know, I love music. So I don't want the two things to influence each other at all. I take music really seriously, and I would hate to be the comic who's like, he's just playing jazz. 
where's the joke at? You know, I'd be like, hold on, listen, these are, this is very, I worked on this for hours. I what take you, it too seriously. You don't want to, you, you don't want to sully music with comedy. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to, yeah, the thing, yeah, that's actually, it. yeah, I love music probably more than comedy. You're right. I wouldn't want to like, I wouldn't want to punish music. <laughs> Why would I want to do that? What do you, what do you play? Uh, I play guitar mostly. And right now I'm teaching myself fingerstyle guitar. Uh, mm. Steel string. It's something I always ch- was very challenged with. I played electric for years mm-hmm. and taught music, but I just always stayed away from fingerstyle. I have really tiny hands, and I have uh, I have a nerve damage in my okay. right hand, so it shakes really bad. So I've always been intimidated to sit down and, and try and learn it. And then over uh, over pandemic, I was like, I got to learn how. What am I doing? I might yeah. as well just buckle down and make mistakes. And right. it sucked, but it, I'm now I'm getting much better at it so i would never ever want to break out a guitar on stage i brought one as a joke one night and one of the older comics in the back as soon as i went on stage was like oh jesus fucking christ really <laughs> and, and even then i was like the, the guitar's ironic and he's like it's still a fucking guitar and i'm like okay but i'm done i'll never do that again so I, I i could never the twain shall never meet i have that same reaction when a comic brings a guitar on stage he was so yeah. disappointed. He was like, why are you... It was Hennigan. He was like, why are you bringing this on still? You're fucking better than that. And I'm like, the guitar was a joke. I wasn't going to play it. Yeah, no, I yeah. wasn't going to play it. That's what they always say. Next thing you know, you're playing it. I've, I'm, <clears throat> I've seen two music comedian acts that I've liked, but that's about it. There's Winlar, local guy Winlar. Uh, I like his songs. They're dumb and stupid but <laughs> fun uh and then there's a guy i can't think of his last name i saw him at the secret show one time uh and he just did like he asked somebody what their job he did like music improv basically and he just asked someone what their job was and he said purchaser and he just like went off for like 15 minutes he wrote <laughs> the song about like a purchaser for like and oh my god it was incredible it was like truly incredible uh I like Dave Hill. Like that's the guy that I like that does musical comedy too. Mm-hmm. But it's also because he plays electric guitar, and I think that's way funnier because he he shreds. And... I'm, not, I'm not familiar with who this is, but I'm going to look him up. Now. Look him up. He used to he used to open for Ginny Garofalo. He does his own thing. He's got a really great uh, Instagram as well. It's okay. really funny. No, the idea of all playing right, an electric right. guitar is way funnier than an acoustic. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like, and I mean he like and he shreds too, and then he just has these deadpan, very like he has a very quiet, reserved, nervous speaking voice. So it's a, a complete dichotomy between what he does with the guitar, and then he'll stop and say something really like very quietly and draw everybody in, and then start playing guitar again. <laughs> oh man, that's it! I created a lull. We did it. The first one. Rain City Jerks, first lull in history. Oh, man. <clears throat> no. We're done. Yeah, we're done. It was a good run. First lull. Derek the Destroyer. Uh, I am I am become death. Mm. Uh, so you just got back from some shows, right? Yeah, I did. I um, guess, like, while you're here, like, you know, you've, you've, you've been doing comedy for how long? I think this will be my 18th year. 18th year. Okay. I'm uh, seven and a half minus COVID in. So five and a half ish. Um, What's the key to longevity? The key to longevity. What do you think? Not what? knowing when to quit. 
am also not knowing when to quit. Not like, knowing when to quit. <laughs> the longer I stay in it, the more people I see just completely lose their minds, and like it's like some sort of like there's like some sort of mind flare in the zeitgeist of comedy and it just like eats people's brains and they yes. go insane and the longer i'm in it the more just like pure madness i see consume people oh. like how do you what is how what's the secret to mental fortitude the long game I, oh i'm the comedy? wrong guy to ask i mean because i you know i was part i had i lived like that i think that there's a it's sort of if you open yourself up to the lifestyle of comedy which is not a great idea then it is just complete bacchanalia Right. And so it is just, you know, there's free drugs and there's, they all, they, what do they pay you in? Drink tickets. Here, take these. Have as many beers as you want. Right. Everybody gets substance abuse problems early <laughs> on. And then they don't realize that they haven't progressed because their substance abuse problems are the thing that's blocking them from getting to that next level. And then they do open mics and they start getting mad all the time. Why am I fucking not progressing? Why am I not getting shows? And then. Then you have a sub, full-on substance abuse problem, and you're doing shows, but they're not fun. And then everyone—that's why they get the grift and the hustle, like the whole fear of like being left behind and not, you know, either getting things or the weird like. Yeah, you know, comedy is a very competitive, but also like it's a you know it's it's very bohemian, and so and it's a business, and so those two things don't go well together when you put artists and commerce. You know, things get kind of nuts because okay. we don't we're not good focusing people. We don't we don't focus well. You know, we're creatives. And so when you start buckling down and thinking about discipline for creatives is never uh, and, you know, it's not a it's not inspirational. Uh, I think it's a stopgap for artists because they get in fear and they're, you know, I'll have another drink. Or I'll go, you know, maybe I'll drink in the afternoon. Then I'll, I got th- I got two shows and an open mic this week. I'm right. fucking rocking and rolling. <laughs> and I, ju- I think that, you know, I grew up, I mean, I came through that. I had a horrible alcoholic. And, uh, uh, and a lot of the comics that I came up with, we're all kind of getting sober now in the sense that, you know, we're, our lifestyle is getting, you know, we're more conscientious. But I think it also has to do with age. If you're in your 20s and your 30s, you're still fucking rolling the dice. Mm-hmm. You know, you still can take some chances. And so uh, comedy, unfortunately, is, a, uh, it, it is a, it's an open door um, for just about every bad decision you can make. <laughs> you know, the promise of like, you know, the, the constant search for exposure and getting a, a leg up. Man, we make so many compromises. Yeah, and for sure. it, it drives people insane. But it also welcome like I think that it attracts weirdos to start with. It attracts sane people and artists who you know are balanced. Not every comedian is you know uh, 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 not every comedian is a dark cloud inside. Uh, some comedians are really pleasant people, and they just want to tell jokes and make their friends laugh. And they had a good upbringing, and their parents are still together. Right. <laughs> and a lot of people got into comedy as a survival skill. Sure. They're like I can make people laugh, and that's the only thing I can do. That's my one talent that's kept me from getting my ass kicked the entire time. So I'm going to try and capitalize on that. And then you get in the pits for the next three or four years, trying to find out who you are, and realizing that you're only funny around your friends, and that can really that can fuck with you. Comedy, like you, you get, you've done it long enough, it's like learning a new language, and it's like, but it's worse. 
because it's also like a whole different it's a whole different school of thought uh you know i think stand up you have to be you have to break yourself down completely you have to relearn how to talk you have to relearn how to think like it's comp- when you start stand up the reason that everybody fails is because you're the you're the person that you know are in your regular life on stage and that's not entertaining for anybody right you have to learn to be a completely different person and it's not just about like what i say it's how i say it i had to learn to like breathe differently and project and and use my voice and also to how did i i didn't think on the fly like i do now like that's a that's a skill you had to work on for years to be you know 10 seconds ahead of yourself all the time to be able to say one thing and be in your head going okay the next thing i got to do is i got to set this up and set this up it's a kind of mental circular breathing that you learn to do and and it's a weird like the person I, I I I am now, or the person I was five years into stand up, wasn't even recognizable to the person I was before I did stand up. I had more confidence. I took more risks. My voice changed. My physical voice changed because I just spoke differently. I, you know, I learned how to like use that and parts of my brain I never used. It's a it's again it's it's a whole different like lifestyle. Like after if you didn't do stand up tomorrow you would still have a confidence to go speak publicly in front of hundreds of people and not even think about it. Right. But, you know, a good portion of, you know, of the population has, it's their biggest fear is being in front of people. Like you have a life skill, you know, without even knowing it. But I think that it takes a long time to learn how to build on it and improve on it and listen to yourself. And some people just... Once they get into the lifestyle part, it's just fun for them, and they never go any farther. And some people dig in, and they want to know if you can get better at it and who they are. And, you know, I I have a voice. I didn't really have a comedy voice until, like, five years ago. I didn't really have a voice. It's my voice, you know? What do you think changed? Like, how did you break through to be like, oh, I have this voice now? Uh, I think I had to I had to listen to myself a lot more carefully and also i had to be broken down to like my most like my most basic place i had to be at a place where all i could do was build up uh and comedy was great for that because comedy was 10 years of like tearing myself apart you know and i failed i was not funny for the first seven years wow i was i i i was tolerable but i was not funny i i would have moments but I and I worked really hard at it, but I was an incredibly unlikable person before I got <laughs> into stand up. So I had that to overcome as well as everything else. Learning to be a likable person, and and which I feel like I've done okay at this point. But that was a skill that I learned out of comedy was how to be a likable person. I didn't realize that was a thing you needed. Oh yeah, to succeed. Time. Yeah, it definitely helps a and, lot. Yeah, I didn't realize that. But seven years of stand up, and I was just the most unlikable, just super dark and edge lordy, and and because I was like, "That's comedy," and I'm saying things <laughs> First Amendment, free speech. If you guys don't like it, you don't get it. And and then uh, and then right right around like year eight or nine, I started getting some really nice gigs, and I started thinking differently because I'm like, "This is important," and I'm tired of like making people cringe. 
You know, that feeling just kind of, I think I had enough experiences where I realized I hurt people and I was like, oh, my jokes suck. And I suck at telling them. Hmm. And then I started thinking differently. And But it took a long time to like become the person that I am now, which shouldn't take most of, most, most of you, it shouldn't take that long. You're probably way more in tune. But and you I was, started comedy in Seattle? Yeah, and then late at 35. You started at 35. Mm-hmm. Okay, see, now, now we're talking. Me faith. Now yeah. we're talking. Yeah, right. yeah. Uh, I started at 31, uh, and I'm quickly approaching 38 now. So, so I think we have a little bit of a leg up. Uh, when you start older, you do have some skills already. You have life skills. You have personnel skills. You have communication. In your twenties, you know a lot of that's just like fucking. Who am I? And right. you got and it. It's hard to like, you know, not. I mean, young comics. You know, you tend to get more stuff the younger you are. But you know, the biggest hurdles for them is like when life starts to happen in your thirties. Tons of comics in their twenties that hit. You don't hear from them after the thirties because then they're like, oh fuck, life 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 is happening. You know, like I'm I'm responsible for things and people are depending on me. And so that changes everything. And we don't have to go through. We've already gone through that. Right. Now, you know, you start older and now all you have to do is just work on like, you know, the sort of the, the uh, not the life stuff, but the brain stuff and the personality stuff. Like who, now that I, I kind of know who I am, now I have to build on that. But I don't have to worry about all the mistakes. I've already made a, a lot of mistakes getting here. So now I'm just going to make a whole bunch of new ones. But I don't have to repeat some of the hard ones. The hardest mistakes I ever made were like between 18 and 30. Those are the biggest, some of the biggest, hardest choices I made, biggest flops I've ever had. Sure, yeah. And I mean, I'm done. I did it. Like, I failed harder before comedy than I could ever fail in comedy. So it was only going to fail upwards. <laughs> it wasn't so bad. Okay. I mean, I was a completely not cool person when I got into stand up. What do you like? Can you describe it? And also, did you you started in Seattle? Like, what was yeah. the comedy scene in Seattle? At Man, this it point? was great. You know, it was like a young Emmett Montgomery. Okay. And you what know? year are we talking? Like, We're talking uh, 2005, I think. Okay. 2004, 2005 is when I started coming around. Okay. Um, you had a very young Emmett Montgomery. Uh, Jesus, everybody, like, I don't know who everybody knows, but, uh, I mean, it was, it was, uh, some famous people, uh, you know, and then, like, uh, the stalwarts. Famous famous now. Famous now, yeah. Yeah. Young comics that left. Right. You know, they got stuff and blew up and, and, um, but it was cool. It was a real community and we all went to the Comedy Underground, and that Comedy Underground at the time was not in the location where it was when you the guys Pinder started. Square it was Pinder one. Square, and uh, real small, low ceiling room. It's where I I've been there when I, I used to go there when I was a kid. I would take a bus because I wanted to do stand up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just had crippling stage fright, and so I would go and watch the open mics. And I was like thirteen, taking a bus into the city. And so uh, I met Ron Reed, who was the door guy at the time, yeah. who was doing stand-up, but he was, you know, like all the other comics, doing door stuff. Um, and it, so where was I? I was, um, <laughs> sorry, I was like, oh my God, you left. Uh, so I um, I was used to going down there. It was a really fun scene. Like uh, that, that room was kind of cool and... 
you, if you failed in it, man, you knew it because it yeah. was real small, real shallow, 150 uh, people, but all crammed together. And um, uh, God, but uh, like who came out of that? Uh, Jeff Dye, Hurry Kondabolu. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Rory Scovel started coming around around 2006, 2007. Oh, he was from here? No, he was from North Carolina, but, but, he, he, was but he was in here. D.C. doing improv and stuff, and some of the Seattle comics that were out there were like, you should come out here. And there was a comedy collective of like newer, like alt, younger alt comics, and um, and so those shows were super fun. Like there was Laugh Hole. Once a week was an alt comedy show that was usually packed, like 200 people in a tiny space, you know, under the the Capitol Hill Performing Arts Center. And the, you know, the show would be like any number of crazy, you know, sketches, stand up, uh, wraparound stuff um, with like Reggie Watts would show up and um, uh, fucking I I remember... um, Humpty Hump used to come down and play music uh, occasionally when he was in town. He'd just come and hang out on the show, like drop-ins all the time. Aparna, when Aparna was kind of starting out, and um, Emily Heller, and uh, Guy Branham, and all these comics would just come through all the time. Seattle was a hub for stand-up at the time. Like, it was crazy hot. Interesting, okay. And that show was packed, and uh, and then the show would end, and then there'd be, like, a cool band you know, playing until like two in the morning or, you know, or two bands and like, like bands, like, like local Seattle bands that had like, you know, uh, uh, what would I say? Tastemaker, uh, approval. Right. Right. So like, you know, bands that were up and coming, that were getting covers on the stranger would be playing this show and the rooms would be packed and they were loving, they were loving comedy. And, uh, and it, those were, I can't, even believe that I got to be part of that part of the Seattle comedy scene when it was really hot and then also get to watch it eat itself alive oh. and completely destroy itself and get burned down to nothing. And then when did that happen? Oh, that was probably, I want to say 2012, 13 is when things started to fall apart. Okay. Uh, Cause everybody kind of left around 2011. Everybody who had been building that scene had left uh, for LA or New York um, and also it was, you know, I think it became a profit thing. And so some people got, you know, very greedy about making it something bigger. And the, you know, the people who were like, but we love it because of the art stopped supporting it. And then it became just sort of a heavy tier of younger open micers and it ate itself. Uh, and that was mainly out of, I think that was hubris is what killed it more than anything. But but Emmett was a big part of that for a long time until it started getting weird. And then, you know, but I think he's the only guy really that does stand up out of that group. Uh, but Scott Moran, who was part of that, and he's a director now I've in heard New that York. Name before. He's directed a bunch of stuff, but he did, um, he, you know, just recently did Rory Scovel's new his, uh, series uh, that he just did. I think Scott directed all those. Um, they had Andy Peters, who's also like he's been all over the place and on TV and does voice acting, and he's from here. Uh, I mean, you've got a ton of like crazy famous people that started stand up around the same time. I mean, we used to go to Oregon all the time, and you know, Ron Funches was just starting at the time. Ian Carmel was just starting. 
uh, Sean Jordan, all the, like these are guys that we all came up with. And it's crazy to like see a lot of them hit a place where, you know, I mean, they're iconic. Uh, Solomon Giorgio is from here, you know. Solomon's he's huge. He's huge. He's yeah. a, I mean he's a he's a gay comedy icon, you know? Yeah. Like it's crazy that he and he was our he was our he was my roommate. Wow. For about a year and a two years, but do you think that you have to leave Seattle if you're getting to a level? I think you should. I think you should leave Seattle at some point if you're getting your chops, but you have to make the right choice in what you want to do. Because what I've I, – the, the mistake that, co- that comedians always make is L.A. is the place to go, and it's not. L.A. is a great place to go if you want to develop uh, as, a, as, a, as a creative. If you want to develop and not – if you're just going there for stand-up, you are going to eat shit. You know, the mics are very insulated and very localized. They don't like new people. And also, there's a billion comedians. So nobody gets any time. You're never going to get a paid show. Every show's free. You know, you walk into shows, they don't cost anything because you can go over to the Troubadour and go see Kyle Kinane for, you know, five bucks with 10 other comics, 10 other like people on TV. That happens every night in LA. Right. So for ding dongs, you know, like like me, you go to L.A., you just have to be like, all right, I'm going to do, maybe I'll do a showcase or two. But if you live there, nobody's giving you anything. And it's hard. You got to be willing to write. You got to be willing to submit. You got to get it. You got to go and get a manager and start like doing commercial stuff, just getting work and, you know, submitting packets and hopefully get a writing job. And then the stand-up then is becomes the thing that you love, but it's your other thing. It's your secret thing. Mm-hmm. But LA is a development town. And and I think it's more for people who are like, I, I'm really good at stand-up, but I'm also good at these other things. And I can, I can diversify. I can write. I can act. I can, you know, I can produce. I do music. I, you know, I illustrate. I do voiceover work. And then you go there and you try to figure out what your best qualities are. And, you, you know, that's where people bl- blossom. Like, you know, Ron went out there to write. He went out there to do stand-up, but he went out there to write and got a writing job, I think, with Nick Kroll's show and and then, you know, got a great manager and and but he you know, he went there with that intent in mind. I wanna I wanna make money. And I think that was that has to be what your mindset is if you move there. But if you move to New York, um, New York is a creative town. There's industry there. There's a ton of industry, but they are they are definitely about um, developing com- comedy. They want you to get on stage as much as you want. You know, there's seven to eight mics a night that you could probably get to on foot, uh, and always there's so many shows and so many clubs, and it's all about developing as a comic. And you're definitely going to have two jobs, and you're going to have ten roommates. And, uh, and it's going to be really fucking hard and it's going to be brutal. But everybody I know that did it, did it knowing that going in right. and knowing it, it's going to build character. It's going to make my skin thicker. I'm going to be a way better comic than I am now. And I, and I, and the, you know, I think the, also the pat on the back, the, 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 you know, the pride of, of doing, of being good at, at standup while also, you know, living in the most squalid fucking conditions you can for very little to no money that always feels like a pretty great uh, success story when you're able to get a writing job on Conan or you know get multiple TV spots and then now you're doing movies and 
There's so many of those guys that I know. And so New York's great. If you're a comic and you want to be a better comic, that's where you go. Or Atlanta or um, Chicago. You know, those are all big comedy towns where you can develop. Denver's also, yeah, getting there. Denver's a great comedy town. And also now a ton of industry. So, but, but also more, again, less like L.A., they have a huge comedy scene. Comedy's what they do. You know, that's kind of what that city's known for. And so you can really get your – you can cut your teeth there and probably get cool stuff. I mean, they have um, – they do have a Montreal audition every year. Comedy Works, you know, gets Montreal auditions. That's great for comics. If you can get on – you know, if you can get – every year you'll probably end up doing one if you're good. And eventually maybe you'll get new faces or maybe you'll get, you know – a spot on 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 the biggest comedy festival. We don't have that up here, you know. Uh, right. That, we got sick. Yeah, yeah. But we don't have you know we don't and, have a Montreal thing. So we right. we had a Montreal connection. I think it was not very good, and it just uh, they they just wanted nothing to do with this city anymore. It just doesn't give them the vibe they want. Okay. So, Understandable. You know, I I think it was. I think it every time we've had. Uh, every time that we've had a Montreal, uh, uh, you know, just for laughs, uh, heat here, somehow it's just gotten, it's one of those things that just happens that we're not, it's not meant to be like the, I've been to most of the JFL shows they've had here in Seattle, which were very sparse at the time. I've gone to all of them and they all were a disaster. (laughs) They all were a disaster. Like, you know, they just, they either picked the wrong comics to do the showcase and JFL was like, we flew out here for this? Like, this is your best and brightest? So, you know, I think they looked at us like the black sheep. And uh, unfortunately, maybe someday we'll be able to, like, get our shit together. What do you think that would look like? What do you think that would take? I think it would take, um, first off, it would take a comedy club. Um, like a, like, yeah, yeah, like a helium. Work. Yeah, it yeah. would take a comedy club of some heft and weight. Uh, but it would also take a... It would. I think it would take a, a booker or curator who knows who's who in the scene, instead of who comes to the club to do the mic. Okay. You know, I think that's always been the the plot for a lot of these places. They're like, yeah, you want to do the? You're here for the mic all the time. We'll put you on the Montreal showcase, and then we'll see what happens. That's kind of shitty. Yeah. Especially when you know that maybe there's a comic that's that lives 20 miles away, who's crushing it and should be on that showcase. Well, they don't come to my mic. Why would I give them an opportunity? That's right. always yeah. that small-minded, yeah, yeah. small-town, like, you know, you don't support me, but it's an arts community, right? So uh, I think that uh, I, th- I think that for us to have a successful JFL out here, it would definitely take someone who knows where all the talent's at, uh, you know, puts the right people on the show, not, not the people they think are, um, are going to be uh, best for tickets or for the venue, but who's best to see, who be seen by JFL? Who's going to benefit? I, I think the problem is, you know, it's always been backwards here where they're like, you know, we want JFL to come every year, so we want to look good. But I think you have to go, hey, man, these guys are flying up here and it's the biggest comedy festival. Who, who do we want to show them lives here? Who do we want to show those people who could make somebody famous from here? Who do we want them to see? That's the best of the best. That's who you want to put up. And, right. and also you want to have a good diverse representation of, you know, I think – I, which we man we have we have such a fucking great scene right now and we really do yeah and there's like a ton of new comics yep coming up right now and they're really good and it's 
it's uh, it's scary. It's like those eight year olds who play guitar really well on TikTok, and you're just like, God damn it! Yeah, nobody was doing that when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> You've only been doing stand up for six months. You're amazing. Um, but I, 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 you know, now like, I mean, I, I'm watching like all the new shows at the Crocodile at the Hereafter that opened up, um, and I've poked my head in there quite a bit. But like, man, there's so many good comics in this city. Like, we overcame that big talent drain that, you know, I think for, like, three or four years, it was just new comics really trying to, like, get on stage and cut their teeth. And so there wasn't anybody, you know, who was shooting through the ranks. Everybody was working at the same speed. But but the people that stuck with it are really goddamn good. So I feel like we have a really good scene. I mean, and so does Olympia and, and Tacoma has great comics. I just wish they had a better club. But, uh, um... But there's some really solid, like, should be moving soon comedians here. Yeah, well, there's some I mean, people that should be elevating and getting out and and li- and now going on that adventure. Right. Yeah. I mean, Quentin Jones, he's moving to New York yep. next week or something. Yeah, Quentin's made the right decision. Yeah. He's gonna be. He's gonna do great things. He is. Yeah. He's super gonna, funny. He's gonna do very well in New York. You're uh, you're pretty unique in that you've been able to kind of make it in Seattle. What what does that look like? Uh, oh man, it was very frustrating. I, it, I bet it's very frustrating. Seattle doesn't. I mean, I don't think Seattle's ever really wanted me, but no? I forced myself. You know, uh, I was the you know I'm the um, the petulant uh, um, overachiever that really wants the attention. So I just I think the thing is getting better at stand up also helped. Yeah, a lot. Uh, and and. But uh, I don't know. I think it's sticking with it. You know, I, I couldn't move. I didn't want to move. I didn't want to move to L.A. I went a lot. I spent a lot of time there and um, and built relationships. But I didn't want it, you know, and this is me. I didn't want to do those things. I didn't want to write for a TV show. I just didn't. And and I it, always, anytime I talked to somebody in the industry and I would say that, they would just be like, you, what a bourgeois asshole. Why would you – you don't want a job? But it's – I don't want it – I want to be better at this. I want to be the – I don't want to be the guy who paints for dentist offices. I want to be the guy who paints because it fucking feels good when I paint. And I want to keep getting better at it. And I want to see what I can create. And And so I turned a lot of that shit down. Because it, I just didn't want to do it. It wasn't my interest. I didn't want to. Did chase you write that. packets? Did you have? Yeah, and yeah. I was. I just. I, my heart wasn't in it. Yeah. And when and, people say packets, to be honest, I don't even know what that really means. You get a packet from the um, from the show that tells you whether you get instructions, basically, and this is what they're looking for. Oh, okay. So we want you to write like, uh, give us a hundred current event jokes. You know, give us jokes based on this. Um, Pitch us a sketch, and this is the idea. You know, like, here's the seed of an idea. Um, come up with your own seeded idea and give us a pitch for a sketch that you think would be funny. Um, you know, write five interstitial character things or, you know, develop a character. And so you write all that and then send it in. Sounds and like homework. It's a lot of homework. Yeah. It's also, you know, I know people who are so good at, at that stuff, and that, but that's what they, they're, that's why they do that. They're good at it. I'm not good at that. It'd be a fluke. If I sent in something that got picked up, I wouldn't know where to go from there. I don't take direction well. I'm not great at working in groups, which is why I don't play in bands. I'm not good with democracy, which is why I love stand up. 
because the dictator of your own life. Yep, because I make the decisions, and then if it fails, I'm willing to take the responsibility. But I've, I've, I think that's why I've always fallen back into stand-up because I, I don't like sharing my vision, and and then having to um, compromise it. I don't like that. I hate it, and I feel like that's, you know, unfortunately that's what's kept me where I'm at, which I now love where I'm at. But it kept me from moving to New York. It kept me from moving to L.A. because I, I would have to ask myself, what do I want out of this? New York would have been great, but I was in my 40s. Yeah. You can't just move yeah. up and move and married. I moved in. And my wife was cool with it. If you want to go on an adventure <laughs> and figure out who you are. But I was like, I don't want to move to New York. I spent time there enough, like living with my comic friends when I was in town. I don't want to live like that. That's kind of where I'm at now is like, I, I, I do want to live in New York, but like I, it's a nut that I cannot wrap my head around figuring out how to crack. Like it's like the two jobs thing. Yeah. And then fine, whatever. And then you got to go with somebody. You got to go with a a couple people. Yeah. You got to have a group. It's so much better. You know, when uh, I think the most successful New York, like, trip that i know of was like it was rory and scott and andy haynes all moved together and they were like we're gonna move we're gonna get a place and we're gonna all start working on our stuff and we're gonna push each other but we all gotta work our asses off and like scott like started painting like interior painting and then basically hired like eight guys and started his own interior painting business while he was there you know because he's like you have to you have to do it you have to go and do, make something happen because New York is all about busting your ass. It's all about it. It's all about hustle. Yeah, uh, it's all about trying to keep your head above water at all times. And so you get he's you know Roy was I think Roy was the one that told me it was like you're not you don't know what to expect, but you just have to know that whatever happens, you are ready for fucking anything to fall apart. So you got to have a job ready. You got to always be looking. You got to be talking. You've got to be out doing shows every night, doing mics, giving out your phone number, you know, getting up early. You got to get up early. Got to get up early and you got to go downtown and you got to see if you can get, you know, a four or five hour a day, you know, part time job so you can keep going, hitting these mics and, you know, uh, that's the part traveling. And that's the part that just like how I don't understand how it happens where you're like, okay, like you have seven or eight mics you can hit a night. But then you have to get up early. Like, mm-hmm. we sleep for like two hours a night. Yeah. Like, I know a lot of comics that did that. They yeah. were just, they, it was the, you know, the, the sort of, uh, the, the torture wheel. But, you know, they did it because they, they knew there was a brass ring at the end of that at some point. You know, there's, it pays off. It pays off because you're getting, you're getting good and you're getting, um, uh, you know, you're making your Malcolm Gladwell hours basically. Mm-hmm. Right. But you're also, you have to, I mean, you have to work. It's so fucking expensive. It's so expensive. That's the part that I'm just like, mm-hmm. how does anybody do this? How, like, I how mean, do you even get your foot in that door being like, okay, I'm going to move. I've heard, you know, a furniture mover is a good comic job. A lot of guys started, a lot doing of guys that. started doing that, uh, you know, like house painting. Yeah. Um, uh, I think that you could get into, um, 
I mean, there's 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 a ton of like part time jobs, but you have to move with more people so that you know you can save some money and everybody's on people that you know uh, that are all having the same goal in mind as well because it makes it easier to sort of schedule with each other to keep each other busy and engaged so that you can you know you're all comics you know it's good to like go do mics together and everybody has opinions you can share and then you get home and you're like how did i do what do i need to do better and then you get up at 5 30 in the morning because you got to catch a d train and go to your job and then you got to try and get back at seven so you can hit you know this greenwich mic and then you can go over to man you got to take the train to manhattan because there's two mics there and then maybe you'll do the stand at midnight and then you get home and you sleep because you're all again and do it all again and you know i think eventually things get easier because you start getting into a routine but you also start getting work and i think that in new york you can get if you can get past it like um if you i mean if you can get past any of the clubs like the stand or the cellar you know then you're working you know if you work if you go out and you bust your ass and you make sure that you're listening to yourself you're recording yourself and and then you you know you go home. Maybe you do your job and you listen to your set and try to figure out what I'm going to do tonight. I'm going to try and figure this out. And then eventually you get to a place where you have enough confidence. Just go down to the cellar and start trying to put your foot in the door, and and do everything they tell you to do. The one thing about New York is is you know you kind of have to like you have to listen, you have to participate. And in some of those instances, if you can get good and get your foot in one of those clubs, all those TV bookers see that. And then they go, hey, man, you know, I know a guy that'd be great. If you want to do stand-up, let's talk to this guy about getting you on the road. Let's get you some opening gigs. And, you know, Burt Kreischer or, you know, those are how, that's how those things happen. You know, those relationships happen when you just get to a place where you're good and and eventually somebody sees you in the right place. But um, getting past at a place like the Cellar or the Stand or one of the other 10 other really awesome clubs in New York, that's when you start getting paid sets you don't have to do seven mics anymore now you can just go do three or four shows a week and then you start building your time you know and then you stop going to mics because now i'm doing 10 minutes every night right so i don't need to go do three minutes or two minutes i don't need to take nine trains and then you're getting more sleep you know then you're doing two or three shows maybe in a week and you're making some extra bread and then you're booking yourself out of town for a couple weeks and then you come back and you get regular paid spots and your job gets a little easier and the money starts coming in and you start getting more work as a comic. And then hopefully you can book yourself more and not have to worry about the financials because you can make that money back on the road. And it's all, you know, it's it's short term. Like you, you, you'll – if you go to New York, you'll probably get about three hours of sleep a night for a little while. But you're good. So once you start, you know, getting uh, – uh, once you start getting that New York – skin that patina on you then you start getting funnier and you also start getting a little you know you're going to also be a lot more honest with yourself because <laughs> <laughs> like you know i gotta fucking work tonight man right and and so uh, i think that's how but everybody i know that went through that they went through the harsh period which lasted a while maybe a, you know maybe six months to a year of real like you know, nuts to butts on the subway, uh, getting up early in the morning to go to work and then doing five or six mics a night, taking the train all over. And then you get home and you're exhausted and you get up at five thirty and you do it again, but then it gets easier. Then you stop doing all the mics. Cause you go, I got three that I know I can do. I get better time. 
Right. Maybe I'll get passed at that club as a regular. You get passed at the club as a regular, you're also like opening up, you know, for other comics who are, again are seeing you and going, oh, you're great, man. Hey, why don't you come and do this show with me? And the next thing you know, you formed a relationship. And there's and, and it's a commerce thing too. So then you're not working 20 hours a day. And but New York's a place where you just have to make it happen. You have to you have to create it. It won't come to you. Right. Yeah. That's that seems to be the thing is you just got to do it. Man, I talk too much. This is, oh, I'm so man, sorry. It's all really good information. Yeah, this is great, uh, great information. Yeah, we were talking about that move to New York, and it's like, are we too old to suffer that hard? I feel like you no. know, you go in your twenties, and you just got to be like Shane like Torres dumb. moved. Shane Torres moved there. Yeah. Six years ago. I know Shane. Uh, I mean, I know Shane. He doesn't know me. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But he came to Maine. That's where I moved from. Uh, he came to Maine and we did a weekend of weird shows together. He's great. Oh, yeah. He's just one of the nicest and the funniest dudes. I, I Really one of the funniest dudes I've ever met. But, like, you know, that guy's in his late 30s, you know, I mm-hmm. think, and moved to New York when he was, like, 35, 36. You know, the same time everybody else was starting to get stuff. And he was like, I'm going to go and, you know, bust my ass. That's what I want to do. Because Shane wanted to be a comic. Shane wants to be a comics comic. Right. You know, he wants to be the comic. The comics are like, fuck, that guy's amazing. And he's he's there. He's that. He's that. Like, he is that. But, you know, he only moved to New York like five years ago. And, uh, you know, he's an older – he was, at, you know, past 31 right it's a hard time to up up and change your whole life mm-hmm. but he also like before he went he was already lining stuff up i want to make sure that i've got these auditions you know for these clubs i want to get my foot in the door in this club i'm going to do these mics i'm going to try and hit that all the time you know he, for his job he was trying to submit um uh, remote writing stuff so that he could work on booking himself in the daytime he got management pretty quick when he got there because uh, he had good heat, you know, from being from Portland, but you know he had to bust his ass for a little while. But then he started getting fucking tons of work. You know, he was only there for he's only been there for five or six years, and now he's opening for Kreischer, right? Yeah, you know, and and those are ten thousand seat, uh, you know, or twenty five thousand seat arenas, and then also like you know ten thousand seat theaters. He's crazy giant, you know, theater in the rounds. Like it's just hustle every night. And being on the road and just booking himself, making sure that he stays on it, you know, make sure that you're uh, that you're in the black as much as you can be, you know, and just make sure that you're paying for your bill. You got your bills paid, your money's coming in, so that you can just keep doing this. Because the longer that you are at it, with that focus in mind of like these are my goals, this is what I want to do. And I went to Shane's place and I stayed at his apartment for a few days. He had a full size wall whiteboard from floor to ceiling and Shane wrote not only all of his goals which he would change every day like the things that he really wanted to do like long term and they would always change but then throughout that week I watched him like add all of his shows and then you know I got to do promotion and I got to work on this and I got to make these phone calls and every you know he'd wake up in the morning and look at that whiteboard and try to make sure that, okay, this is all the shit I got to, this is my vision board, it's my goals, it's also the things that are on my schedule, and I got to knock it all out today. And then tomorrow I'm going to, it's going to be a whole new set of things. Because you stay with that in your head every day, and you push yourself in that position, you'll get to the place that, you know, you want to be at. 
Uh, you can't because you can't fail at that point. Once you're focused on not just getting good, but also being good at the business and making yourself do it, uh, you'll succeed. You'll be where you want to be. It just takes some time. But you do also have to be funny. I mean, yeah. you have to. You know, this is all the business part I'm talking about, but you just have to be funny. And that comes with being out every night and working and seeing, you know, taking notes and being honest with yourself. But I think that there's no fear in moving late. As long as you don't have, like, I, if I wasn't married yeah. in my 30s, I probably would have moved to New York. But I, I'm glad, you know, I also, I'm much happier to have a family and people in my life. I think I can balance that now. Sure, and, uh, absolutely. And I can go anywhere I want. You know, I live here, but I'm lucky, I'm fortunate enough that I can go anywhere. You know, yeah, you do I, shows all over the country. Yeah, yeah, and I don't have to be in. You know, I don't have to be in a, in a location. I would love it if there was some f- industry here. I would love it if we yeah, had right? film and TV here. It'd be great. You know, that would definitely help. But I, I'm, I love being a stand-up, and that's what I want to be good at. You know, I would much rather die on stage. You know, than uh, sure, uh, right? You know, than in an office. Nobody found me for a few days. Have you no, put much thought into producing anything yourself, like getting a room or something going? And not, I, you know, I, I, I used to do. I mean, I used to do book shows. We did Laugh Riot, which was pretty popular for a little while. Um, but uh, I, I have a hard time. Uh, I just, I get it's too much. Like I, I booked it for, I booked for a long time. Now I'm trying to book myself into some smaller theaters. I'm trying to change. I'm trying to elevate what I'm doing a little bit because my new stuff is very, it's very talky and it's very storytellery and it's a lot of like crazy, fucked up, true, weird, shouldn't be funny but are stories. So I'm trying to do like a whole, I'm trying to build a theater show about 90 minutes. Okay. It's a lot of that stuff, but it also has a lot of, you know, it hits a lot more of the peaks and valleys and dynamics of a stage show than just stand-up. Because stand-up is very much like, I got to keep everybody on board. I got to stay on it the whole time. And I want to actually, you know, I want to work on some of these stories and, and tell them instead of just have a punchline. You know, I want to flesh them out and do them in front of an audience because I think they're they're funny and they're really weird and... And I can tell them well. You know, there are things that I, I incorporated in my set that seem to have the best reaction are the things that have the most truth behind them for me. So I'm trying to work on that. Yeah. And that's taken, you know, that's where I want to go. So I'm now booking like 100 to 150 seat theaters and trying to not do it as a comedy show. Build it as an actual, like, it's me. And I'm doing a thing. And... And see if we can make that happen in the next two or three years where I can start doing 200-seaters or 225-seaters, but doing that show and building on it and, mm-hmm. you know, adding a new adding new stuff to it as I go. I remember seeing you like eight, ten years ago in Seattle when I was just getting started, and that seems like a really natural outgrowth of what you were doing because, you know, you've always been crazy funny. Oh, thanks. Uh, Thank you. But just that it is more kind of leaning into storytelling and yeah like having the burden of laughs per minute kind of hanging over your head and stand up uh now i've really enjoyed seeing your uh new material 
when oh, I've good. gotten have to you, see You've it. seen some of the new stuff. That, yeah, uh, I saw you come good, out. Good, you good. did a, a longer set of Jack's Mike one time, and I've seen you a couple places. And uh, oh yeah, we were at Jack's Mike. Why would, I did the I did the I did my my talked about my mom. Yeah, my mom yeah. story there, which I I like doing. But I was like, am I going to do this for a, such a small room? Are they going to be okay with it? <laughs> Like I don't want to, you know, it's not. I just don't want to bum people out and go right. like, "Well, you guys having fun? All right. Well, my mom died." <laughs> like, but, but you make it funny though. But yeah, that's yeah. the thing I've been working on. It's like trying to do this, trying to tell this stuff so that people don't get fucking sad. But you know, even if you did lose, just lose a parent, you know, it can, in a way, it can show you that like, hey, there's other avenues other than just pure and adulterated grief. You know, you can turn some rocks over in these situations sure. and find things that will make you laugh a little bit, and that's it's good medicine. Uh, so, you know, I kind of I'm enjoying learning how to do this, but I'm I'm trying to move out of you know just straight ahead hour you know straight ahead doing an hour of stand up and trying to like incorporate some of this longer form stuff and make it funny, you know. I, I don't want to do modeling stuff where I don't want to do the end of like, uh, you know, all the Robin Williams specials in the 80s. Uh, if you ever watched them, they would always end with some melancholy thing. Yeah. You yeah. know, where he's like, you know, he'd be like, and then, you know, and then you got the shower head up your ass. And the mm-hmm. audience is just crying, laughing. He's like, my son turns three in about a week. And uh, he likes his stories at night. <laughs> Sometimes I'll. And then he'll just do like a 10-minute thing on his kid and how grateful he is. And then there's like a little joke at the end, but it's for kind of bittersweet. And then, you know, good night, everybody. And it's just a warm exit, a warm, you know, dismount. And I don't want to do theater like that. Yeah. I want to get people to laugh at this shit in a legitimate and genuine way where it still honors my family or my memory without having to subvert it or uh, compromise it. In a way, so I'm hoping that that's what I can do because I'm 52, man. I can't, you know. I would like to appeal to keep appealing to a, a moderately young audience and smart audience. I don't want to be a 52 year old or a 53 year old comic who's just, you know, stuck in a rut. And yeah, we gotta get on TikTok. You gotta start cooking on TikTok. <laughs> I want to do. That. <laughs> I was talking to somebody about it though because I'm like, man. Is it creepy for a 52-year-old dude to start a TikTok, though? Like, no. I want the attention. It, it depends on the TikTok you start. Right. It could be, but you, yeah. wouldn't, you wouldn't do well, that. Well, it's just called uh, Tiny Dick Sings. And so it's just <laughs> my dick, but it sings. I just put yeah. music to it. That's what TikTok was made for. That's I what, thought so. Yeah. yeah. You just draw, like, a little face on it, and the yeah. filters pick it up. <laughs> oh, I didn't even think about drawing yeah. a face on it. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I could do all kinds of stuff. Put it in costumes. Right. You yeah. shave it so it has the same facial hair that you have. But but is that creepy? That's what I guess I want to know. It's the it's, it's the energy behind it uh, that makes it creepy. I think, and okay. I, I, I'm sure you would approach it very uh, innocently. Yeah, because I wanted. I mean, my handle that I came up with, I thought was really fun, was Groomer sixty nine, <laughs> and I thought that would be kind of yeah, like a, doing a that. dog hair cutting channel. Yeah, yeah, that kind of groomer, that kind of grooming, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't want to cut this short, but it is slightly past six fifteen now. Uh, <laughs> if you need, if you guys wanted to, needed to go or whatever, yeah, we could. Yeah, I'm ready we to can, wrap it up. We can yeah, go we soon, right? Did I do okay? Was this a good conversation? This was great. Yeah, this was great. It's excellent. Yeah. I turned. I, I my mom, my wife has told me that I don't. I, it's a problem. I can't fix it because I'm fifty two and I'm doing it now. I'm doing it right now as I'm trying to explain it. But I cannot speak in sound bites. 
She's like, you know, this is why you won't be like famous, famous because you can't. You <laughs> it's can't, nice that she tells you yeah, that. <laughs> you can't sum things up. Like that's how you do things. You have to like you are a long form talker who has to draw things out. You will never speak in perfect sound bites. It's one of your weaknesses, and you just can't get good at it. And now it's in my head. Now I'm in my head about it, and I still can't do it. I can't. Huh. I can't. Well, that that also sounds like it's probably your greatest strength. It might quite and possibly. That you've kind of cultivated that into kind of what your style is. Yeah, it's a yeah. sad verbosity. <laughs> that's a good album, album name. <laughs> yeah. So I had fun, man. I hope I, I hope this was. I hope I didn't like sound like a uh, know-it-all jackass either. Where I'm like, you got to do this. No, I don't think so. Uh, that's uh, you know you you got. We'll edit it to make sure you sound. I mean, as that's cool. Yeah. I would appreciate pedantic and just uh, up your own ass as just, possible. You guys, it should be a conversation with you guys, and then just. Only cut in the times I name dropped other comics. Okay, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and or the part about you just, your dick. Yeah, you just go like you guys are having a conversation. You're like, yeah. So you like to cook? Yeah, Rory Scovel. <laughs> okay, he just says names out loud throughout the podcast. Shane Torres. Yeah, well, I mean, so I get depressed in the wintertime, you know, and that's what happens. And what about you? Well, you know, I medicate a little bit. Bert Kreischer <laughs> just dropped me in at certain places. I have a little. <laughs> soundboard to hit you in. No, this was great. This yeah. was this was great. We got some uh good information, some good outlook. Uh this is gonna yeah, it's good. And you're on the upper left festival coming up, right? Yeah, this this next week. I'm excited yeah. to uh it's gonna be really fun, man. Seattle is we've never had a comedy festival. Uh everyone's threatened to do one, but no one had the organizational skills or the fortitude or the um or the talent or um you know, couldn't get out of their own suicidal ideation long enough to book something. And Isaac did a really he managed bang to up do job. all of those things, all of those things. Yeah. And he'll probably have those ideations after the festival is over, undoubtedly. When the money, uh, and he's like, "What happened? Yeah, where did what it all money? go? Yeah. Where did it all go?" Yeah, I am curious how the tickets are going, but I'm I'm on the festival too. Uh, I'm super excited about it. We're gonna have fun. Uh, I mean, I'm not gonna. You know, I live here, so right. he was like, all the events. You got the email, like all the uh, events, yeah. and I'm like, I'm gonna go to one of these. I'm gonna go to look, like I looked at. It, I was like, maybe two or three. Probably yeah. the brunch. Probably something else. And then, yeah, and yeah. then the late night after party thing. I'll hang out for a little bit. Yeah, but. the brunch had 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 the right price tag on it. Free, free. <laughs> it was yeah. free food, and I was like, I'll be there. Yeah, done. <laughs> Cash bar is what yeah. he said in the one thing, and I'm like, "Well, that'll be fun." Yeah. For, so that there are no comics will be there, right? I mean, yeah, they're not paying anybody, so just like uh, cash yeah. bar. <laughs> I was like, "Get out of here, uh, you crazy guys!" Uh, it'll be fun. I'm, I'm, but it's weird to like live here and be like, "Ah, yeah, I don't need to do all this. Mm-hmm. I don't need to go to all these things. I live here, and I'm 52. And I don't, I'm just going to do the shows and go to the arcade." And I just want to see some comics in oh, the yeah. green room. You, and if you want to go to the Ray Gun Arcade, you can be my plus one if you want. Sweet. Yeah, there's uh, their pinball machines are awful. Oh, really? They're so bad. Okay. Yeah. Or are they all off balance and yeah, yeah. That makes that makes me mad. Are you a pinball nerd too? Yeah. Oh, we didn't even touch on pinball. Oh, I love pinball. Jay's uh in the top one hundred. He's yeah, he's yeah. like way past me. He would be. He I. I'm, you probably have more fun though. I have fun, but I also play I play Apex the same way I play pinball. Where I just get shot in the face within 30 seconds, and I'm like, ooh, let's do it again. That's yeah. fun. Let's just load it again. I don't care. Uh, but I can't play professionally. I, okay. I, I, yeah. I just enjoy it. 
But I also know when a pinball machine is fucked, and it makes me so upset. Yeah. And then you just lost a dollar. Yeah. And I'm like, why is this not, how is this, it's not even fun if it's not balanced. It's like having a Miss Pac-Man machine that doesn't give you a free, uh, a, a next up at 10,000 points. That always makes me mad. I'm like, you did not even fix this. Like, I didn't even get a free, like, at 10,000. No, they said it not to give you the yeah, one up. This is bullshit. How am I supposed to beat the high score if I don't have three? You got to have a minimum. Of th- you got to get three. You can't get through the uh, the no dots maze with the only uh, no. With you're gonna yeah. now you're gonna those ghosts are gonna get you. Interesting. Yeah, for it's you Miss Pac Man addicts out there, pretzels in the world you can eat in that maze. Yeah, it's gonna save you. Do you think? Would you be enticed by a game like an arcade game, pinball, what have you, that is? That has a cookie dispenser, and every certain amount of points you get, it gives you like a little tasty wafer. Would that encourage or be dis? Uh, not would you be not be? Interested? I'd be encouraged, but for all the wrong reasons. Right. I mean, it's just making it more Pavlovian. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. exactly it. It's like a rat in a maze, right. yeah. and I would only play it because I wanted the treat, even right. if I hated it. Right. Yeah. If, if it was like a, a Roman Catholic church themed one and it would dispense communion wafers <laughs> oh man that would, would be a pretty interesting I that, table i wish that there were, we we lived on that timeline where popes had their own pinball tables pope the pope john paul table is just, that pope leo the second table <laughs> it's a fucking banger <laughs> there's so many dirty jokes there and i i i forming them in my head and i'm like don't do them don't do catholic jokes about pinball hold on kid yeah, put the brakes on. <laughs> You're in the right. This is the right place if you if you got a Catholic pinball joke. But uh, he'll bolt awake at night, screaming them out. I know. There's three of them forming in my head right now, and I'm like, they're not done. They're gestating, mm-hmm. and they're all the low hanging fruit you would expect. Uh, you can feast on low hanging fruit <laughs> easily. Yeah, all right. What it's there for? Uh, well, thank you for coming on the show. Thank uh, you for yeah. having me. Do you want to plug your socials or? Anything like uh, that? He, he, go check out my Instagram. Is the thing I like the most. Okay, is that and just that's Derek, Derek Sheen six six six. Derek Sheen six six six. All right, very good. That's it. I, I mean, you can go on Facebook, but who's doing that? Yeah. And you can't find me on Twitter because I I was permanently suspended last year. I bet you could get back on. Now, Maybe now that, now that Musk is running things. I mean, I don't think he's running it yet. Yeah. Uh, Once he has that edit button, he's going to become king of the world. But I don't. I don't think I want to do it if Elon Musk has it. I don't want to do it. It's, it was only fun <laughs> when he didn't have it. Now it's just going to be like. No, everyone needs to leave Twitter. Just leave him yeah. with this nonsense. Just a dead thing. It's just going to be vanilla ISIS all the time on there, just like yelling at people and saying the n word, and no one's going to ban him. But does anybody like even use Twitter? Like, does it? I used to, so, you know, I'm on, like, I have open read, right? I can read it uh, anytime I want. I just can't post. I can't like. I can't do anything. Okay. Um, they want to be hooked on it still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I still like it because for a while it was really like an up-to-the-minute sort of news source, you know? And that's kind of what I like about it. There's mm-hmm. four or five places I go and I instantly am like, oh, this is happening now. And then, you know, 10 minutes later, MSNBC is like, holy shit, this is happening. Twitter's always like the pulse. Okay. You know, the public pulse. Who do pulse. you follow on Twitter? Um, I follow all my favorite comics, but then I also follow uh, Molly Jong Fast, Aaron Rupar, uh, Asin, um, Ron Filipowski, uh, the Washington Post. Um, you know, I follow a lot of the more like uh, lefty writers. Um, 
and actual journalist journalists um and uh, more more than comedy now just i think i'm more dialed into that mm-hmm. but there's something about you know the the public discourse that i think i'm going to miss if someone like musk takes it over because the the concept of making it you know a paid which is bad but also you know his concept of free speech is not the uh the the same constitutional concept of free speech that we all kind of wanted to create as a society where, you know, we all at some point, uh, in the, 20 years ago, you weren't allowed to just run through the town square, just saying awful anti-Semitic shit at the top of your lungs. They would, the, the town would stop you and go, no, you don't get to do that here. Mm-hmm. We don't agree with that. And then you would either get, uh, incarcerated for being a public jackass or they would send you on a bus out of town, or you would stay home because you were so embarrassed because you had shame, like you had sh- personal shame, and you're like, "Ooh, what kind of person am I?" And you'd question that because you had object permanence and you had character. <laughs> and then somewhere in the, in the last twenty years, that's all just disappeared, and people don't have that anymore. Like you can yell at them and go, "Hey, man, that's you don't say, that's some Nazi shit you're saying." Yeah, it is. What are you gonna do about it? It's cool. I like it. I'll say whatever I want. You can't shut me up. Free speech. But and they don't have any shame. They don't feel bad. You know, they don't have uh, it, the cruelty is the thing now. We live in an age of it. I, I didn't think that I would live to see like us go backwards as fast as we did. But we just live in an age of cruelty. That is the thing that is celebrated and elevated, and um, and the thing that the more shitty and cruel and nasty and inhumane you are, somehow the bigger your pedestal becomes. And I hate supporting it. Like, that's the one thing about, like, you know, I would never want my Twitter back if it was just, you know, if we had, if I had to tolerate that shit or in some way was, prov- like, providing resources that would even in any way fund that kind of speech, then I'd just feel bad. And and also it wouldn't be funny anymore, right? Like, the jokes aren't going to be the point. Used to be Twitter was fun. You'd get on there and be like, "Ah, oh, there's some really funny takes, and these threads are kind of great." Like they just go off, but it's just going to be desperation and anger. Yeah, I think it and is death threats, and yeah. and then the threads are just going to be more people backing up those death threats, and then the few people left on there trying to argue with them for some reason, like they think they're going to get through to them. But we're past that. There's a lot of bots arguing with each other. Too. This is true. There's a lot of that, and I love it. He's like, "I'm going to get rid of the bots," and I'm like. Well, there goes your whole business model. Yeah. It's going to be like 15 people left once yeah. they get rid of the bots. <laughs> I really don't read Twitter at all. I just post dumb joke seeds on there and then watch, like, look at them later, maybe. And, like, oh, that's, yeah. That's the fun part of it. Right. You know, but that used to be what it was. Like, and everybody participated in that. So you got more, um, you just, you had more visibility because that's what people were like, oh, we want to see jokes and we want to hear new jokes and here's a fun joke i'm going to retweet that but we don't do that anymore now the things that are getting retweeted are the things that are you know they have some kind of heft to them they're not you know it's very rare that someone's sharing something that's cute or funny anymore right it's rare it happens but it's usually the outlier where it used to be like the main that was the thing that was the the mainstream was like man every day was something funny i mean Patton, man used to like some of his tweets are fucking legendary. They were so goddamn funny. Some of the tweet threads were like he would. I don't. The one that like 
blew up for him. The biggest one was like when he did the tweets that you know, had 145 or 140 characters originally, right? And so he would do the tweet that cut off uh, with something racist or sexist, and then refinish the thought on the next tweet that he sent, which made it not racist or sexist because he was just completing his thought. Right. <laughs> and he did like a hundred tweets in a row like that. That just, that was tw- like, you stayed on it all day. Cause you're like, where is he going to go next? <laughs> That's great. You know? And it was fucking hilarious. Like everybody looked at stuff like that and went, that's, you know, we're learning how to revolutionize joke telling and, and how we just, you know, how we deliver content, you know, hum- humorous content. And we're experimenting with the format, but we're not doing that anymore. Now it's like, you know, everyone's sharing like, this is, <laughs> here's the address of a place you all got to go and fucking throw dead birds at this guy's window. <laughs> and, and like, I don't want to fucking, I don't want to participate in that. I wanted, I liked it when it was fun. And, but that's the shitty thing about the world right now. It's not fun. So yeah, I will yeah. make, we'll make it fun. I need to figure out how to start posting on TikTok, but I've, I'm slowly delving clo- more into that cesspool and there's there's more stuff on there it's it's yeah. i like to keep my algorithms guessing i don't really follow much and i i like things and i watch and it knows how much like you watch a thing but and it's kind of learning me but since i don't really post stuff at all and i don't really follow anybody it doesn't really know what to throw at me yeah and so it just sends me like the freak show stuff <laughs> and it's uh, pretty s- spot on <laughs> yeah you- no they got me dialed in a little bit but i get i get a lot of like like Appalachian uh, weirdos on there and like just like straight up you're like oh you are technically a human also I suppose <laughs> and uh, and you have figured out technology enough to like turn the camera around and you're filming yourself oh, oh this god is, this is a horror living in, like, <laughs> like what is happening like this is a real person okay interesting and they all do this the same thing which i think is interesting which is they realize alone they have no no real contribution to anything in the in this creative outlet yeah and so what do they do they lip sync to multiple songs they just turn it into not even real karaoke it's just like some sort of lip syncing thing with like poor lighting and like i saw one of this elderly woman yesterday she was like she had figured out she like hits her cigarette and then lip syncs and blows it out it's like a a neat effect of her like singing and smoke she's like old fog machine yeah Yeah. and she's like 62 (laughs) years old and singing some like pat benatar or something it was just like it was it was and she had like 140 likes on it i'm like you're how did i get this where like how did i how did i come to this you you were like 141 right Uh, you had to give it up i don't I, i try not to like those just i don't want to encourage the algorithm too much but you got to encourage that lady yeah it's a, you watched her content man come uh, on and then i get a lot of like mentally handicapped people on there who uh, uh there's one guy who dresses up like the white power ranger and he seems like a very kind person he seems like a good person but some people are <laughs> really cruel to him in the comments and then everyone i imagine <laughs> everybody who works for the colorado state parks is a white power ranger <laughs> uh, and every once in a while he'll post a video of him just crying and just imagine just like a blue like he just looks like a blue collar schmo but old man you know like 50 something year old man and like 
uh, he's just crying, wearing a Power Ranger outfit, of just like, "Why are you so mean to me?" Oh my god! And then I'm just like, "Oh, it breaks my heart uh. every time." Then the comments on those are really great. Like, "We love you. You're doing great. Like, this is amazing." You know what I mean? But yeah. like, uh, it really runs the gamut of emotion of just like people <laughs> bullying this like mentally handicapped older man in a Power Ranger costume and other Ugh. people lifting him back up and he's stuck somewhere in the middle of this <laughs> fluctuating state of dopamine. It's like a modern Sisyphus. Yeah. A dopamine purgatory. Yeah, th- that's what it is. He's figured out this new thing and he's the white Power Ranger on there. If anybody knows what I'm talking about, I don't know. I don't know. You got to get that guy on the cast. He'd probably do it. Yeah. He'd probably do it for a few minutes anyway. All right, I've tried to do this before. You guys said you had a hard out. So yes, I'm trying so to get you guys out of here. We but, should. Uh, we should. Thank you again for coming. This has been Rain City Jerks. <laughs>